Well, blood blood. This is George G, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful James Malley. James, are you ready to do this? I am so ready, George. All right, let's go. James is the co-founder and CEO of Pacurit. They're the only patented cartonization solution that optimizes for transportation costs directly so you can have the right boxes and control how they are packed. James, tell us a little about your personal life, some more about your work and why you do what you do. Sure. Uh, so I've been in logistics tech uh, since 2009, um, mostly on a freelance basis uh, in the beginning years, kind of working on the projects that nobody else wanted to deal with. Um, my my now co-founder uh, and I kind of carved out this niche of of taking, I wouldn't say necessarily the hardest uh, you know projects, but definitely the most annoying ones. Um, and so we got kind of burnt out uh, of that after a few years. And it was around that time that we were looking around for something that we could own, uh, you know, it'd be our IP. And it just so happened to be when FedEx and UPS started penalizing uh, shippers, you know, e-commerce and otherwise for poorly packed uh, boxes. And so, you know, cartonization is kind of the term for determining what box to use for any given shipment. And it's not it's not a new concept, but we thought we could do a better job than some of the legacy solutions out there. And uh, that's why we started Packurate. Nice. So 2009, you've been at it. How did you get into that in the first place? Just a passion for logistics, James? Oh, man. I You know, supply chain is really funny because like everybody kind of falls into it and then they just stick there and they don't know why and they can't explain why they they become like huge supply chain nerds after uh you know doing doing a short amount of time but i actually went to theater school um for college and uh by the time i graduated realized that the you know all the websites that i had been making for theater companies for beer money uh i enjoyed that a whole lot more um and then so i got in touch with pat um and who i actually went to high school with and uh we started just working on uh freelance uh, projects and then you know once you kind of get pulled into one supply chain tech project suddenly you know that's your market uh, because everybody knows everybody and uh, we just kept getting recommended to other kind of vendors there. Um, so that, that's kind of how we found our way in. But um, I don't think we are, I'll, I'll speak for myself only, not Pat, but I don't think I really found my passion for, for the space or, you know, our approach to it today uh, until pretty late. You know, it was kind of just a job for, for the first years. Yeah. Well, I certainly appreciate that. I think a lot of people can identify with that. So I'm sure if you are a problem solving kind of a person that you're 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 in the right space i mean i know very little about it but it seems like there's bottlenecks and mistakes and balls that are dropped at, at every step of 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 logistics absolutely i mean it's it's fantastically complicated uh it's one of the like the thing that makes uh well there's a, there's a couple side effects of this one is like supply chain people uh, have a lot of pride uh, in their supp supply chain knowledge. Um, and so you kind of have to be respectful of like very seasoned supply chain operators because they have a pretty firm grasp on, uh, you know, the complexities. Uh, but the other kind of side effect is that it's actually, you know, pretty fertile ground for disruption um, because it, there's so many little niches you can, you can improve and, um, that, I mean, it's almost endless in terms of opportunities for 
entrepreneurs, uh, regardless of how much experience you have in supply chain. Yeah. Well, that certainly makes sense. So you mentioned, I, I don't remember the date that you said, but there was a, a time where these big shippers, these legacy shipping companies started charging more for poorly packed boxes. Tell me a little bit more about that. Sure. I think this was around 2016, 2017. Um, they, they, they may have started a little earlier, but this is when they kind of cranked up the heat. Um, they have basically, historically, FedEx and UPS and the other carriers have always charged mostly just based on weight. Mm -hmm. And maybe there'd be an oversized charge if you're trying to ship a piano or something. Um, but they realize like this isn't really working. You know, we're shipping too many boxes with a tiny thing jangling around in the bottom. Um, and it's taking way more trucks, uh, than we need. And there's, you know, serious capacity issues with that. And so rather than say, okay, we're switching to, you know, do a combine a combination of dimensions and, and weight, they came up with, uh, a kind of a, a word, uh, dimensional weight. Uh, so, it basically gave them the option to charge for either the actual weight or this kind of fake weight that incorporated the cubic volume. Um, so without going too down the rabbit hole, that's kind of how they went about it. And suddenly, you know, all these shippers that didn't really take packing too seriously, were getting absolutely hammered, uh, you know, margins are, you know, overnight almost going away. Um, and so, you know, that's that's kind of why we got interested because we had developed these relationships with shippers and they said, you know, I tried the cartonization feature in my warehouse software or, you know, we tried to build our own. It's just too hard. It's a weirdly deep problem figuring out how to put things in boxes. Uh, can you build something? And so we just said, why not? And, and that's how we kind of got into it. Got it. All right. So maybe walk me through a case study or two say so I've, I've 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 got this widget i've got you know a storefront with the big warehouse in the back and i'm shipping stuff all over the place what does it look like yeah so um in practice uh you know sh the packers it's usually a packer at a pack station in a distribution center uh, occasionally it'll be in stores if they're shipping from their their stores um but typically there's there's not much in the way of direction uh for those operators it's just you have to get all these orders out the door and onto the truck by the end of the day or else um there's a there's always been like a huge emphasis on speed especially you know during the pandemic when e-commerce was going crazy um but with this kind of these new uh fees and and rising costs and speaking of the pandemic all the other costs all of a sudden shot up like the cost of the actual cardboard uh the fill material uh transportation labor all these things um so suddenly this this sort of uh underappreciated step in fulfillment because most of the you know robotics and really whiz bang stuff innovations are happening elsewhere in the warehouse um this packing step uh suddenly became very important uh, and so what we do is we generate packing instructions with a 3D visual of how a shipment should be packed into a box or boxes. Um, and we show it on the screen and they, they pack it up and scan it and send it off. And you just figured out the computer program or, <laughs> or what based on the size of the yeah. box and the thing? Yeah. Uh, so the 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 category of math problem is called bin packing um and 3d bin packing is not even 
that new of a of a concept. You you can find examples in like MIT thesis papers, or there's like a really great Air Force uh, white paper about it actually. Um, but when you apply it to a production kind of parcel shipping uh, scenario, it, you know theory uh, kind of wilts in front of practice. So the engine that we had to build, you know, having some awareness about what actually goes on in the warehouse and what kind of costs um, are are there to be dealt with, it's more of kind of a cost reconciliation engine. So, you know, being able to do like a 3D Tetris that plays itself is kind of the baseline. But then you have to decide, you know, is there, are these items fragile? Can they be, can a battery be put in a box with, you know, oatmeal or whatever it is? Um, and then, you know, FedEx and UPS have all these sneaky little incentives based, uh, baked into their rate tables. So we're also like going over those and saying, okay, does FedEx want us to split this up or consolidate it into a box? And so you can really kind of go down the rabbit hole. Uh, into stuff that a human-led packing operation would never be able to uh, deal with, especially in a time crunch. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Fascinating. So all these different variables, the actual thing itself, if if it is, um, if it's a unique thing like a battery that can't go in with foodstuffs or it is a fragile item or it's super heavy or whatever, and then you throw in the extra variable that each one of yeah, these other companies absolutely. has some kind of a game that they're playing, whatever, they're, they're, they're rewarding behaviors and, and, and penalizing others. And how often are you, are, are you, is this something that you're constantly updating and constantly tweaking or? Uh, the sort of underlying tech itself, I mean, we kind of, uh, you know, we we're always kind of improving it and adding more features for different use cases. Um, but the kind of underlying core uh, has has stayed pretty stable. Um, and so what it's kind of allowed us to do uh, is build applications on top of it that don't require integrations and things like that. So we just released uh, something we call Pack Simulate, which you just upload a spreadsheet of the last few months of orders, for example, or shipments. And then it kind of runs on the engine and says, okay, these are actually the carton sizes you should buy. Um, so it's a much more kind of like straightforward application to a fairly simple but common question. And that's that's kind of what we get excited about. What other what other ways can we leverage this technology that we've built to to make certain tasks uh, easier? Um, and I would say, you know, we we're about nine people now. Um, we raised a seed round uh, early this year, um, and I would say the team is is extremely motivated by the sustainability implications of of what we're doing. Um, the and, and those are kind of not something we even really thought about very much when Pat and I started the company. It was more once we finally got data. Like one of our first big customers was Crate and Barrel. Um, being able to see the actual impact on, you know, acres of cardboard saved, like hundreds of truck trips uh, saved from the distribution center. That's when we said, "Whoa, that this is a, this is actually kind of a special problem. It's a niche problem, but it's special because your costs uh, and your emissions are basically the same. Uh, anything regarding parcel shipping, if you're a shipper." You're basically paying to pollute in some way, um, so any any kind of even incremental improvements you can make there, it's really just a kind of a win-win. Yeah, that is a that is an awesome 
awesome sort of secondary benefit to all of this. Uh, that was something I was curious about is what what kinds of, of monetary savings are are possible or, or 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 have have you seen? Yeah, the average tends to be around fifteen percent. Wow. Um, if you already have kind of a you know super advanced three D cartonization system, uh, the floor tends to be around six or seven percent. Um, which doesn't sound like a lot, maybe, but uh, to you know, a large retailer, it, it is actually quite a bit. It's a few million dollars usually, um, and so that's just on the transportation savings. Uh, the you know cardboard, which I think everybody kind of took for granted, um, has just become, you know, it spiked all time high like really fast during the pandemic, and hasn't really come down that much. Uh, and it's not like price gouging or anything. Like everything that goes into making the the cardboard boxes that show up on your doorstep, like the resin inside them, has gotten a lot more expensive um, due to supply chain issues and all these things. Um, so suddenly. We will have companies coming to us just looking for that, not really even thinking about the transportation necessarily. They're just like this, this stuff that we used to just you know throw away. You know, this is just the cost of doing business. Now it's well, wait a second, it's kind of eroding our margins uh, by itself. Um, so we typically, when we engage with a shipper retailer, um, we'll we'll get we'll try to get a handle first on what's important to them um and kind of highlight that in whatever initial analysis engagement we do for them that makes sense and what is i mean i'm sure that you'd love to have amazon as as a customer and perhaps you do or perhaps you will what is on the smaller or the lower end of that scale like small customer wise yeah yeah, well, one of our first uh, customers that we hold near and dear to our hearts is uh, Lionel Trains. Uh, if you ever played with model trains as a kid, um, they've sure. been around for uh, 100 years. Um, incredibly forward thinking uh, for a, a company that old. Um, and their use case was kind of simple, but um, fairly common, which is, as you might imagine, more people buy model trains for Christmas than they do for in the mm. summer. So a heavily kind of seasonal operation, seasonal workforce. So there's no, you know, expertise really in the warehouse on how to package these things in a way where they won't get damaged or have a customer complain about a massive box with a tiny accessory rattling around in it. Um, so it was, you know, kind of super straightforward, kind of easy to prove that we could um, make that not a problem anymore, which is kind of put some complexity in the way that they fulfilled these, uh, put some consistency rather in the way they've fulfilled these things. Um, and they've been a great, a great partner ever since. Got it. But for somebody and, and for somebody who's listening and they're thinking, well, maybe I'm too small to be thinking about this kind of thing. I see. Yeah. I mean, um, our kind of, uh, lowest tier pricing is around a hundred bucks a month. Um, so at that rate, it's worth it. If you ship one or 2000 packages a month, um, you should at least save a few hundred dollars on on shipping. Um, any smaller than that, and and typically you have the time to kind of look look at these things. It's not a uh, high pressure fulfillment kind of scenario. Got it. As as you, what are your thoughts on 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 Amazon? That's a huge question. What was sort of rattling around in my head is obviously they they move a lot of of different products all over the all over the world. But now you can just bring an item to a drop-off location and just hand it to them without even packing it. What is the wisdom in that? Uh, well, I, I think you know it, it's a, it's kind of impossible to 
without being inside Amazon to uh, accurately uh, assess what they're doing. And in some ways, they'll probably never be a customer of ours because they optimize for completely different things. So we optimize for, you know, costs based on, you know, public carriers like FedEx, UPS, DHL, regional carriers, um, and, and all the costs that are common to every retailer besides Amazon. And uh, Amazon optimizes for speed above all else. Um, it's kind of central to their brand. Um, and so, you know, we have like, you know, speed controls where some of our customers put a kind of cost to uh, labor so that, you know, our algorithm's not going to tell a packer to pick 20 boxes um, just because it might be slightly cheaper because there's a labor cost. But Amazon is completely different <laughs> in terms, like they almost don't care about how much air is in the box, at least not, um, not as a foundational concern. Yeah. Yeah, that's a whole, uh, not to get into the weeds on that, but back to the conversation about sustainability and efficiency, my, my goodness, the amount of waste that, uh, that, that must take place when you are putting a small item in a box and all those balloons that, uh, that, that kind of show up inside. But anyway. Yeah, no, it, it's brutal. I mean, uh, you know, there's what I often say, because we get asked this question a lot about Amazon, because that's everybody's frame of reference for poor packing, which in itself is probably not a good sign for them. But, you know, what, what I usually say is there are, I'm sure, plenty of excellent reasons, operational and well thought out reasons that they ship this way. I just don't care. I think it's terrible. Uh, and I think that they're going to be in trouble when scope three emissions reporting comes down and suddenly, you know, we find that they're using, you know, 30% more trucks than they need to, or maybe even more um, because these, these things scale really one-to-one. So if we can shrink the average size of a carton in a, in a operation by 15%, a company's going to use 15% fewer trucks from that location over time. Hmm. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> speed, speed is important. It's what you care about when you shop on Amazon. I'm not hoping for something to show up in three weeks. I want it tomorrow or today. Um, but I think, you know, once this, once consumers get some more insight into this, the, impact that that has where we can't pretend or we can't ignore that this this decision to ship fast uh is is polluted polluting um i think there might be an interesting reckoning to be had there yeah that should be interesting that'll be the uh <laughs> that'll be it right there like do i really want to put my money where my mouth is well, and, exactly and say do I care more about the earth than I do the pure convenience of getting what I want when I want right. it? Right. Well, to <laughs> to Amazon's credit, they they have done experiments where they offer slower shipping because slower <laughs> is always more sustainable, like pretty much in 100% of cases. Um, but they didn't get a lot of traction. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, you know, maybe there other opportunities to explain what that meant in line when you're checking out. But I thought it was, you know, looking at it at the time, I thought it was clear enough. But when you're, like I said, when you're at amazon.com, you're not like, oh, I need to, like, I need this toothpaste right now. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, schedule something for weeks away. But I don't want other retailers to take that as a sign that they shouldn't do it. Because 
when I'm shopping on a different website, I might not have that same kind of urgency. I might be more willing to kind of like share the pain of a more sustainable e-commerce experience um, by waiting longer. Yeah, I appreciate that. You referenced a, a level three or something like that, talking about the... Scope three? Scope three. Yeah. I'm going to dig a little bit deeper into that. I'm sure that a lot of people who are listening will be curious about that too, because I've never heard that term before. I can I can give a quick primer. Um, yeah, great. The, so there, in terms of uh, carbon emissions, uh, there's sort of several classifications. There's scope one and scope two, which are typically the emissions that come within within your four walls. So, um, uh, you know, any, anything that you're you're creating and releasing into the atmosphere. Scope three is anything that you cause to happen outside of your four walls. Um, it could be the you know material that you buy, or it could be the FedEx trucks that you cause to hit the road. Um, so you know cardboard and uh, those trailers, those trucks, uh, they would fall under a shipper's scope three emissions, even if. Uh, those trucks are scope one or two for FedEx. Excellent. Uh, and so the the big thing that you know everybody's panicking about is in Europe, uh, scope three reporting, which is almost out of sight, out of mind for a lot of American companies. Uh, it's been uh, you know the law of the land in Europe uh, for a long for a while now hmm. uh, to report on those things. But that's coming here, um, and so you're starting to see some some corporate uh, entities scramble a little bit to figure out what that means for them. Stay tuned on that one. I love it. James, <laughs> thank, thank, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you and how can they engage with Pacurate? Sure. Yeah. So um, I spend most of my time, well, not most of my time. I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn kind of talking about these issues. So you can find me on there. Um, you can also go to Pacurate.io, uh, and if you're technical, you can sign up for a API key and start playing with it in 30 seconds. Uh, it's pretty fun. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's all. Love it. Well, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show James your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Certainly, anybody you know that is shipping at least a thousand things a month, opportunity to to save money and be a little bit more sustainable, go to Pacurate.io. That's P-A-C-C-U-R-A-T-E dot I-O. And then find James Malley on LinkedIn. I'll list all those in the notes of the show. Thanks again, James. Thanks, George. And until next time, remember... Do your part by doing your best.